you are at the net. And welcome, friends, to another episode of the At The Net podcast, powered by Texmex Productions. Working the soundboards in the back of the house are our producers, D-Mac and Dave the Brain. Time to say hello to your hosts, Craig Bell and AJ Shabria, as they're about to take us through three sets of tennis, talking life and all the news as it seems to them. Ladies and gentlemen, Craig Bell. courthouse in Delray Beach. We had planned on getting married uh, in April, yeah. and during this whole COVID-19 thing, we didn't know what the situation was and when they were going to close down the courthouse, so we woke up one Friday morning and said, hey, let's do it, and That's so beautiful. we went down, and it was it was easy, breezy, beautiful. That is awesome, and that was one, no, we're really two months and a week ago. Yep, yeah, that's right. Very recent. Yeah, yeah well, congrats, did, did, man. Did you all meet on the tennis court? How'd you all meet? So, interesting story real yeah. quick. Uh, we actually, the first time we saw each other, we didn't even actually speak to each other. I was driving up to a USPTA district meeting that I did not want to go to. Um, I, it was a long day at the club, and it was raining, and the traffic was horrible, and I was cursing and swearing the whole way up there. But the only reason I went up is because I had to deliver some paperwork to one of the directors of tennis in the in the West Palm Beach area. Mm. So I got there a little bit late, and uh, I delivered the paperwork, and I wanted to walk out. The problem was the presentations were just starting, and for a guy my size, I can't really sneak out anywhere. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, so uh, I stayed to watch the first presentation, and the first presentation was Lisa and her organization, Love Serving Autism. And so I stayed for the whole presentation. I thought, wow, that's, that's, that's really nice. It's such, such a good idea for the community. Um, and so later that night I got home and I just sent out like a, a, a tweet saying, hey, you know, want to thank Love Serving Autism. You're doing great work in the Palm Beach County area. Uh, and I just said something nice. I figured, you know what, I had a rough day. Let me do a good deed and I can sleep well at night. And then about a week later, I got a call, and she invited me to a fundraiser event. I couldn't go because I had to go to Orlando for some TV stuff. Anyways, long story short, we kind of kept in touch and went back and forth, and, uh, you know, we, we fell in love and happily ever after. So there you go. That is wonderful. And when was the, the that time that you went up to West Palm on that rainy day and met her? This was, oh boy, uh, this was late uh, 2017. Oh, so about, uh, not even three years ago, really. Yeah, yeah, oh. it's about two and a half years ago. Oh, that's great. Yep. Yeah, and, and it's happiness ever since. It's happiness ever since. And the folks at home should know she played at, was it Duke and Florida? Yes, she, uh, she played uh, her freshman year at Duke, and then she transferred to... University of Florida with uh, Sujay Lama and yeah. Andy Brandy, and they won a national title in '96. Perhaps the greatest college tennis team ever assembled. All those incredible names: uh, Steph Nikitas. Who else was on that team? Uh, Jill Krabass, right? Yep, Jill Krabass, uh, Don Booth. Yep, Don Booth. Um, so a whole, whole bunch of them. They're actually, I, I, I know they're planning a uh, some sort of reunion later on this year. 
So are they, awesome. are, they, are they going to invite Sue Jay? I bet they will. You know, <laughs> he's and, a trainer. Uh, he's up in North Texas. He's and he's one of our top top fans. He, I know he's listening to this. Uh, Andy Brandy has been known to tune into this too. So so I'm uh, I'm awfully proud, and hopefully they are too. They're they're uh, that, having a warm sort of a moment right now. That's always a quiet accomplishment. You start thinking national yeah. champion. The I whole mean, thing. The whole thing. I yeah, mean, that's man. you know probably in women's tennis at that time there might have been what over 200. D1 programs or yeah. at that time, and I'm sure there's still quite a few uh, D1 programs out there. But you start thinking all the really great teams out there: the SEC, the ACC, Boy. you know, the Pac Big 12, 12 yeah. Pac 12, yeah, yeah the Stanford's, Big USC, USC, too. Big Ten. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's there's 60 teams probably out there that will give you a run for your money at any yeah. one time. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's some outliers. You know, even the University of South Florida is the universities of. Uh, uh, smaller uh, schools that will uh, throw you a curveball every now and then yeah. that, that can match up with you. I mean, but just to win a national championship as a team, I mean, that, that's that's really hard to accomplish. Don't you think, Kyle? Yeah, yeah it's pretty amazing. I actually think that year, uh, you know, you'll have Lisa on the show, and you can, you can ask her. She's, uh, she, 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 she lived through it. But um, I think they did lose a match, or I think they only lost, like, two or three actual individual matches the entire season. Gosh, so, they're deep which is and just phenomenal. Yeah, deep and always seated one or two and everything. That's remarkable. Yeah, that, that really is. I mean, you start thinking about, like I said, college tennis and just all the great players that, that come out of there. We've had uh, a couple of uh, Jamie Loeb was just recently That's on. That's right, on, WTA player, yeah, national Christi, champ at yeah. uh, UNC. Right, Christine McHale That's also, right. too. Uh, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, so, I mean, they... they were very good players, but they weren't a part of a team up and down the lineup like Florida. Deep like, like yeah. this, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's just, like I said, I just, I, it's always staggering to think. And, you know, it's usually like a Stanford, UCLA, USC that win it. It's, it's a rarity that an East Coast school really gets that chance to, to really uh, jump into the uh, conversation. Yeah. But Hey, uh, Kyle, we'll switch back to you yeah. a little bit. You had a nice rivalry with... Uh, a lot of huge names uh, when you were coming up as a tennis player. I know Craig is about to kind of get to that, but I want the folks at home to know about your uh, nice rivalry with people like Andy Roddick, too, right? Yeah, growing up in uh, in Florida as a junior tennis player was pretty special. We yeah. just had some some really incredible players, and I remember as a young kid playing Roddick and playing Marty Fish and. I actually remember having a harder time with, with Marty Fish because both of our forehands sucked, so we had to kind of duel it out on the backhand side. And usually my, my backhand is, is pretty good compared to everyone else's except for Marty's. And with Andy Roddick, he had a big forehand, but he was really, when he was younger, he was just a total push. Yeah. And, um, and it wasn't until a little bit later where he started to grow and really develop that, that major serve. But I can remember, you know, in juniors, I could beat him from the backhand side, so that's kind of what, what my tactic was. But against Marty, I couldn't really do that, and neither one of us had the confidence in, in the forehand. So, uh, but it, it was it was nice. I mean, there were so many players down here growing up, and I remember being a, a junior and going to a tournament or seeing like van after van of you know Boletary, Saddlebrook, Palmer Academy, all these different academies. I was like, oh boy, these kids are here. So I knew it was going to be a battle. Of course. Uh, did did you grow up? Uh, I know both swimming and tennis. So did you? Uh, you at the same time that you were playing tennis, you were competing at a high level on the swimming swimming circuit as well, right? A little bit. I, I kind of started um, 
giving up on swimming. I, I, I shouldn't say giving up, but I wasn't taking it as seriously. Um, I just kind of got burnt out from swimming. The 5 a.m. practices, the whistle right. blowing, the chlorine. And I can remember I was I was a backstroker, so I, I would always remember being in the pool, and I would just be staring up at the ceiling of the aquatic center, and I could count the rivets in the ceiling. <laughs> so once I got to 86, I knew I had to flip because 88 was right there. So if I flipped, I could hit the wall, and then I would push back, and then I would start counting again from 1 to 86. But I, I, I stopped swimming competitively probably when I was like 12 or 13. Um, and then I just kind of did it for fun after that. And then I got into tennis when I was probably 11. And I really just kind of played against the wall on the side of my house. And uh, I can't tell you how many Wimbledon finals I lost to Ed Berg and Becker. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Were you always a large, you know, tall individual growing up even? Were you... Uh... At six six now, when did you really get your height? When when, when did that come around? Uh, well, I, I knew I was I was always a, a big kid. I was always, I was always one of the larger kids in my in my class. And when I was born, I was ten pounds six ounces. So oh. my parents kind of knew that they had a big boy on their hands. But yeah. it really I, I didn't take notice to it. It wasn't like a sudden you know growth spurt over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I was always big, and so my freshman year in high school. Um, you know, I was one of the bigger kids, and then I didn't really notice much. And then by, by my high school graduation, I walk up on stage to get my diploma, and my principal's there, and he says, Kyle, I can't believe you have grown so much. And that was really the first time that I was ever truly aware of of my height and my size and everything else. Yeah. Before that, I just considered myself like a normal-sized person, even to this day. People say, oh, wow, how tall are you? And I, I completely forget because I just feel on the same height as everyone else. Right, right. Yeah, you, I was thinking that your principal was saying you've grown so much mentally, you know, maybe educationally. <laughs> but you, he was probably saying not, physically. Not. <laughs> <laughs> right. you, weren't the, you weren't the valedictorian of your class? Oh, no, definitely not. The, the valedictorian actually was, um, was this young girl who played on the girls' high school tennis team, and she went to uh, Notre Dame. On, on a full ride on, on an academic scholarship, actually. But yeah. um, so I, I definitely was not the, the valedictorian in my school. I was kind of in between, I think mostly because my grades in, in math, I was uh, terrible at math and I still am to this day, but I was good in everything else. But I think math is really my, my kryptonite. I can see you being very good in English and uh, history and things like that, right? Absolutely, those yeah. are my favorite subjects. Yeah, yeah, you're such a good writer. I think math. You should have been from Oklahoma because we don't do math well either. There, you must. You must have some Oklahoma relatives in, in your past as well, somewhere in the family history, because we, we don't do math well up there either. And, not and, a problem, man. You got to focus on your strengths. That's right. 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 Not your weaknesses. Probably in the same thing in tennis. Right? Yeah, it sounds just like sports. Yeah. Right. So you develop the strengths more than you develop the weakness, right? Mm. Keep, always. 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 Right? That's what you have to do. So how did you get to Ferris State? Just out of, out of curiosity, I'm sure. How, how did Florida let you get out of Florida? Yeah, well, when I did get to Ferris State, everyone thought I was crazy, and they thought I was joking because I, 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 I was never asked so many times, you're from where again? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you coming Why up, you here? up here? But yeah. no, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I grew up in Florida, and I actually went to a college tennis exposure camp mm. run by Ed Crass. And, you know, the the college coaches are kind of the instructors for the camp and they draft, uh, they draft certain players that they like. And so um, the coach that drafted me was the coach from William and Mary, Peter Dog. 
and he loved my serve and volley game and all of those things. And he said, you know, I know you want to be a coach and you want to teach tennis for a living. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, there's a great program up in Michigan. Check out this school. They, it might be exactly what you're looking for. And so I said, wow, well, I've never been to Michigan. I don't know anyone in Michigan. But if this is as good as I think it is, then it's an incredible opportunity. And if I want to pursue the career that is my dream, then this is what I need to do. Cold weather be damned. I'm going to suck it up for a couple of years. Yeah. And I'll, 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 I'll just make it through. And I did. And there, it was cold, right? Oh, gosh. It was freezing. I never saw snow before. Yeah. And oh, so yeah. Grow, growing up in Florida, it's just palm trees. And I grew up 10 minutes away from the beach. And it was just fantastic. And then when I got up to Michigan, it was a complete lifestyle change. I wasn't used to dressing in layers. And I wasn't used to going out and having to start my car for 10 minutes for it to warm up and <laughs> shoveling snow. So I, I used to use my hand to push the snow off of my windshield. Yeah. And then I realized snow is really, really cold. <laughs> and now my hands are frozen for the rest of the day. So I tried to get I tried to get gloves, but I went to the bookstore and my hands are, you know, like, like, like a catcher's mitt. Right. So I couldn't find gloves that fit me. So I went to the local Kmart. And I bought some oven mitts, and I just walked around campus with these oven mitts on because that's the only thing I, that, that my hands could fit into. Man, what a sight. That's hilarious. I'm, I'm sure they, people are looking at this guy like, what do you got on there? What, what are you cooking? <laughs> this chef from Florida, yeah. six foot six. That's Walking hilarious. around with some oven mitts. That was, was that Scott Schultz that the, then got, got you up there at Ferris State at that time? Yeah, so the, the uh, program director was R.J. Tessier, and uh-huh. the uh, founder was... was Obviously, Scott Schultz, and I still have a great relationship with both of those gentlemen today. Yeah, that, that, that's a really nice program that, that's been recognized probably uh, more times on the for the four-year standpoint. Tyler Junior College down in our neck of the woods, yep. from the junior college standpoint, is pretty good. They've had a bunch of good uh, Steve Smith, and they had a really good run as well. Uh, how, how many were in your class at Ferris State at the time? I'm interested to, to know how many people were in your, your group. So my freshman class, I think we had uh, close to 30. We might have had like 27, 28, um, and uh, it was nice. And then I think towards my senior year, it dwindled down to maybe like 19 or 20. Mm. But uh, no, it was, it was a great group. In fact, one of the one of the kids in my class is Ian Westerman. Oh yeah, Ian Tennis. Right, yeah. good so name was essential. We, yeah, we, we were in all the same classes together, and he, he's a great guy, and I'm so happy to see him doing so well. Yeah, yeah he's really. doing really well. He's has has his own uh, network, uh, tennis yeah. type thing, social media. Uh, done a really good job uh, uh, with with his particular uh, uh, social media platforms. So at Ferris State, you played in, in, I guess you played on the Maroon squad. Is that the, the better of the two? Is that kind of like the varsity versus the junior varsity? Yeah, no. The, 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 well, so when, when I got to Ferris, you know, here I'm this Florida kid, and they're thinking, and I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm from Florida. I'm going to have an advantage here. But when I got to Ferris, the team was loaded with, with foreigners. Uh-huh. It was a Division two school, so the top two guys were from the Czech Republic. We had a guy from Greece, a guy from Venezuela, a guy from England uh, so it was it was very deep so I had no chance on that team at all so the Maroon squad was actually like the club team which probably could have beaten a lot a lot of other college teams because right. we were just a tennis program but right. uh, for for Fair State that division two school they were stacked I think they were like top 10 in the country so yeah good. 
So you get you got to, did you play Michigan, Michigan State, Eastern Michigan, Western Michigan? Who all did yeah. you all play with? Who, who was your all schedule? Just out of curiosity. Uh, I mean, well, for for the Maroon squad, we played a bunch of other club teams, and all all those teams you mentioned. Uh, for for the Fair State varsity team, uh, they were playing teams like Drury, and I I know they did play a couple college uh, division division one teams as well. Yeah. I know for spring break they'd come down and they would play Rollins and Lynn and Bear University, who are all you know top five programs. So it, it was it was a pretty good mix. Yeah, I'd say so. Did did did, did uh, Michigan want to play? You all really the top team. I mean, could could, could the top team with with uh, the Czechs and all the foreign guys? Could they have competed with those guys? Uh, not only could they have competed, they would have absolutely wiped the floor with them. The, no the, the two Czechs we had were uh, not of necessarily the typical college age. I think our number one guy. You know, both of them were all Americans. The number one guy was maybe 26, 27, oh, okay. and his partner was actually his coach back in the Czech Republic, and his partner was like 32, 33 Older years old, guy. and they just wiped the floors with everyone. It, it was yeah. it was incredible to watch. Yeah, so yeah, they probably knew not to schedule Ferris State. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ferris, no, no, sorry, we're, we're busy, we're booked. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't, yeah, don't want that. Those guys, yeah, uh -huh. are, yeah. We, we'll, uh, we'll go somewhere else and take our toys, but. Hey, yeah. um, you know, you made a nice Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago reference earlier. Did um, did people, was there a bit of a cult following at Ferris State for, say, a Save Ferris Bueller t-shirt? <laughs> That's a good question. I actually don't remember seeing anything like that. You and don't? It's funny. Yeah, oh, it, that it's funny been awesome. because when I tell people I went to Ferris State, yeah. they yeah. said, Ferris what? Like Ferris Bueller? <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how they remember it by. But I'm sure. They don't, they don't go Bueller? Yeah. Bueller? 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 <laughs> anyone? Anyone? Yeah, that was, you know, that was, uh, I'll, I'll give you guys the chance to tell me who the actor was who Ooh. said, anyone? Anyone? Yes. Ben Stein. Ben, ben Stein. Stein. That's you right. got it, man. I had to sit there and draw deep in the old memory bank you there, man. You got him. Ben Stein. Well That's done. That's why he's a tycoon. That's right it. There. That is the tycoon coming through. Big time. I mean, yeah, you are too, Craig. This is pretty rare that somebody nails a trivia question for you. So nice going, that. Kyle. Well yeah, done. The tycoon, man, he is on that. He sniffed <laughs> that one out well before. That was excellent. He, he, knew, he probably knew the answer. He probably watched the movie just before. <laughs> yeah, last exactly. night. Yeah. I did a little bit of stuff. Before this. You did, you did. <laughs> so, Ferris State, you know, they really prepared you, I'm sure, unbelievably well to do what you're doing now. Tennis management, yeah. right, is the name of the program? Yeah, professional tennis management. Good. And you'd recommend, I'm sure, as an alum of Ferris State, anybody that's listening to the podcast that has any kids or mm -hmm. maybe a kid themselves that might be, be listening at some point to attend Ferris State, right, or look into it if you're interested in the uh, business of uh, tennis management. Absolutely. Uh, Ferris State University and their professional tennis management program probably accelerated my career by, by about 10 years. The opportunities I was given, the industry experts that I was able to meet, those connections, the networking, just the whole experience. Being in an environment with a bunch of other you know, tennis aficionados and, and, and absolute tennis geeks is, is something that's so special, and it, it just makes the college experience uh, that much more worthwhile and I was so lucky to be a part of that when I was um, but yeah it's a really special place and a special program and if someone is interested in a career in the tennis industry it just doesn't have to be teaching on court there's a lot of other careers too but I, I highly would recommend 
professional tennis management. That's awesome. Kyle, you mentioned Ian Westerman. He's a, a, a big name in our industry. Um, Matt Bacon went there. Was, was he a couple of years ahead of you? Uh, Matt Bacon and I were in the same class. You were. And how about yes. uh, one of our another one of our former guests, Dolph Ramzur. He's a, a close friend of Craig's, and uh, he's a music producer. I imagine he was he was well before you. But do you know that name, uh, Dolph Ramzur? He manages. I mean, he was a director of tennis for years in North Carolina, and then he manages the Avett Brothers. Yeah, so I, I do know the name. I'm yeah. familiar with the name. I, I've seen it in certain publications and things like that. But um, I, I've, I've never met the guy, but I'm uh -huh. sure he's, he's fantastic. Uh, wonderful yeah. guest. Yeah, he wonderful was probably, man. what, in the 20s in, the, in our... This is 43, so I think he was yeah, maybe... Was maybe 18 weeks ago, roughly. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's a really interesting guy, because he, he said that he was started out in the tennis world and yeah. always loved music and, and kind of uh, gravitated towards the music and then being an agent and actually has done really, really well. So if you look him up, yeah. you know, Dolph Ramsour... Uh, he's is, a massive success in the music biz and yes. still loves tennis. Yeah. But he made the point that I, I have a feeling you might is it... Uh, I think you already mentioned that it, Ferris State opened a lot, a lot of doors for you. He said that it was um, always a, a feather in his cap that he went there, and it was rather easy for him to get a job, an internship, or even a leadership position. Have you had that experience in some of the places you've worked, like Saddlebrook? Yeah, I mean, I, I never really had to had to push it too much. I just said, I'm a professional tennis manager student at Ferris State, yeah. and they said, oh, that's fantastic. We would love to have you. Uh, and so, wow. yeah, I mean, it, it pretty much spoke for itself. It had such a great reputation in the industry that it wasn't like I was starving to find a job. Uh -huh. It was they were they were starving to, to find how many PTMR students could they actually get for that internship. So, yeah, it was, it was just it, it made life very easy. And all the internships that I went on, I actually had the plan and I mapped it out. Uh, as an incoming freshman, that this is the internship I want first year, and this is the internship, and I doubt all of those internships. So it's perfect. Well, that's awesome. Pretty, that's and, cool. and where were they? Well, tell us about the places and what you brought to it. Sure. So um, my first internship was with the Fair State University Nike camps, uh -huh. and this was in the heyday. So we would do 250 to 300 kids a week, and it was perfect for me because I needed – the teaching experience. Um, I had a little bit before, but in Florida, it's kind of tough to just work at a club when you don't have the experience or the certification. So I knew I needed a lot of hours under my belt. So the Ferris State University summer camps were great. Had an amazing time with that. My After my sophomore year, I went to Saddlebrook Resort. I was invited back because I begged for a job as a seasonal pro over the holiday. They gave it to me. They liked me so much. They had me back. Yes. Um, and it was it was incredible because at that point they had already known me from the holiday uh, work experience I had. So they really opened up the floodgates in terms of my responsibilities and what I could do. And mm -hmm. I helped out with the academy side and I helped out with the resort side and the customer service and I helped out with with fitness and every little thing. And this was in the early 2000s. So at that time we had, you know, James Blake there. We had Martina Hingis, Capriati, Justine Ennen. They were all training there. And so it was just an incredible environment to be in. Um, and so I just think for me, being at Saddlebrook, plus it was close to home. Right. You know, I, I grew up about 45 minutes away. So there was just that feeling of, of familiarity and comfort. But I, I really took the bull by the horns. 
I stepped up. I was a leader. And then my third internship was at Philadelphia Cricket Club. So gorgeous club, 24 grass courts. Right, historic, uh, absolutely amazing. Absolutely loved it. We had the ITF grass court juniors mm-hmm. there. And I just, again, I, I just, I, I was stringing rackets till like 2 in the morning. Um, it was just, I did everything I possibly could just to gain the most amount of experience and just leave a good lasting impression. So did you hit any balls with any of the professional players while you were at Saddlebrook? Just out of curiosity, did you say, hmm, okay. Did they ask you to come over and, you know, hit it, bang a few around on the court with them? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, Justine Ennen and Jennifer Caffrey, they kind of kept to themselves, and they had their own little their own little setup. But uh, Martina Hingis was there, and I, you know, met her a few times, and she would ask me to come and hit with her because I found out a lot of the coaches there didn't like to hit with her because she would do mini tennis right. for like the first 45 minutes of her practice and all the coaches just wanted to get out there and hit and I really didn't mind it. I love mini tennis. Right. So I, I was out there with her and we would hit mini tennis straight ahead and then down the line and then we would do cross courts and then just different touch shots and that's what she loved. So I was like, I'm more than happy to do this. Sure. I mean, and she had some unbelievable mitts around the yeah, net. That, was that really separated her in, in both doubles and and singles, singles, but doubles. It, it, it separated her from the uh, from the normal uh, bangers. Yeah, I can see that from the service line in. Man, she was she was money. It well, should be fun to yeah. play with. It, it, it was it was it was interesting because watching her play and playing with her, it, it was almost like watching Gretzky play hockey. Yeah, wasn't the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, but they were playing a different game. They were always one shot or one step ahead. And it was almost like a sixth sense where she knew exactly what you were going to do and she knew exactly what she was going to do. And she never hit the wrong shot. She might miss, but it wasn't the wrong shot to hit at that time. It was always the right shot. It was just maybe execution. But her, her brain and her mind for tennis was just so rock solid. And that was on clay, I assume, probably when you were hitting... Hitting balls uh, it, it, actually, we, we did a lot on hard courts. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I thought you might have been doing, that would have been fun to do on clay, do some mini tennis with her, just sitting there practicing spins and different, you know, different junk shots, yeah. you know, all you could, you know, top spins and, and under spins that you could, side spins you could put on the ball on clay. She, and she must have loved returning your massive serve. Uh, uh, you, you must have helped her break <laughs> some strings, huh? Uh, I, I wasn't allowed to go all out. I so, see. <laughs> um, and I wasn't allowed to hit kick serves or anything like yeah. that. I, I went like, you know, probably 70% pace. Right, right. Um, and she hit every ball back clean as a whistle. But um, if, if I hit one serve that was anywhere close to the line, it was it was pretty much lights out. Yeah. It frowned that upon. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not there to show off. I'm not there no. to show her how, how good I am. I'm right. not there to make her Help feel her. better right. and to build her confidence. And so get, her a great, uh, get her a great practice. Yeah. And that's an early learning station, uh, stage of what we do as tennis professionals. We're yeah. not, it's not about us. It's about the student that's on the other side of the net anyway. So mm. that's probably, at that point, you're kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm here for her, not here for me right. to show, show her my skills. I'm here to make her better. So that's, well, that's kind of, as tennis teachers, what we do. Yeah, I mean, it, it just took one one look from her, and I was like, oh, okay, I get it now, so yeah. it's fine. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm a quick learner. Right, Good especially man. in that situation. Yeah. Why uh, peel back to age 14? I was reading a little bit about you. You knew at age 14, what was the, the moment that you knew that you wanted to be a, a tennis teaching professional? What, how'd that come, around, come about? 
Wow, you guys really did your research. Oh, we've got a whole department oh, yeah. doing the oh, research for us. That is so impressive. I love that. We, we, we go really deep into, into uh, uh, research and development. We right. go pages and pages. We, f- we found a lot of stuff about you. We're going we're gonna to oh, expose boy. here in a minute. <laughs> anyway, 14. Anyway, go back. 14. Yeah, yeah. What, what was the, the thought process at age 14 with a young Kyle Lacroix? Yeah, so at 14, I, again, I, I knew I wanted to stay with tennis. I just loved the sport so much. And um, for me, it was just kind of like I was going into high school, and I always kind of think and plan long term. So what I'm doing right now in my life is going to show up, say, two or three years from now. And so that's always how I was. I, I was always planning in advance. So by the time I was a freshman uh, in high school, I already had the goal of, this is what I want to do. Now it's just a matter of finding the best program or the best route to get into it. So going to high school, that was my goal. I wanted to teach tennis. I, I didn't want to go to college and kind of discover myself and find this and find that. I knew exactly what it was. So I made the plan that in high school, once I made it to high school, boom, I have this plan. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get me there. So it was pretty much my freshman year in high school. And just that, that moment that I'm, I'm still trying to figure out at age 60 if I want to do this. You know, I can't imagine. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. Man, you're wise beyond your years, like I yeah. said. This guy. Focused, he, too. That's, that's a great combo that, to have. That's why he's the tycoon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's far ahead of everybody else. But uh, So, interesting enough, uh, you, you've done a lot of stuff with, uh, you know, now teaching. Let's move on kind of the teaching aspect. Yeah. Uh, with USPTA, you've done a lot. You know, Florida. There's a lot of great pros down in the USPTA area. It seems like that that's a, a great uh, area. You know, to learn. You're at you're at the Oaks in, in Boca Raton. Pretty pretty uh, fancy schmancy place. I think. Gorge, gorgeous place. In fact, some of our mutual friends love not just the clay, but you've got a red clay court there, and everybody tells me it's one of the nicest places in the country. Thank you. Yes, I've uh, I've I've been at my current club for going on 16 years now and we have uh, 12 courts three different surfaces we have the regular traditional south florida green clay we have the red clay court which is court four which happens to be my favorite court and i can usually be found on there teaching all day Uh Uh, and then we also have a hard court that we just resurfaced so it's a deco turf hard court really nice and most people only use that for the ball machine court, but sometimes we'll get some high-level players out there and they'll want to use the hard court. So we obviously let them, and, and we, we can do that too. But, yeah, I mean, Boca Raton is a very nice area, but it's also highly competitive. There's so many great pros just in this area alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, just and you know what? It's a good thing because it makes us better. And Definitely. We don't, we, we, we don't necessarily go through life. We grow through life. And so I've been able to grow with all of them and, I've had some great mentors in Boca Raton, like John Joyce and at Boca West and Richard Centerbar at Boca Grove. So it's really been it's, it's really been an, an outstanding experience being down here. And, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't ever know if I was going to make it to, to Boca Raton because as a junior, I always saw, like, all the best players seemed to be living in Boca Raton, Delray Beach. And I was like, man, that's got to be a magical place and now as an adult I'm I'm able to live here and, and be
be a part of that. So it makes me very happy. Tremendous. It seems and like you were just out of college at age 21. Yeah, you you're 22 Oklahoma with math, that job. Know, yeah, 16 plus uh, 21, that's 37. In my book, I guess that uh, you're just you're just a, a young pup out of college to get a job like that as an assistant pro. That's that's how'd you how'd you uh, commandeer that? That wasn't probably on the work work program, was it? No, the, the the plan was I was going to probably get a job somewhere in the south, ideally dream job someplace in Florida, but mm-hmm. I knew that was going to be a long shot. So I was thinking Atlanta, South Carolina, North Carolina, someplace where it was fairly warm. And what happened is I had job offers. I had three job offers, one from Philadelphia Cricket Club, which they actually flew out their head pro to meet me to kind of, you know, woo me into into signing with them. Uh, I turned that down, and people thought I I was crazy. And then Saddlebrook Resort was calling, and they met with me and they met with my father, uh, and I turned them down. So then people stopped thinking I was crazy, and they just thought I was stupid. <laughs> and, then, and, and then I got I got another job offer with Genesis uh, Health Club uh-huh. in um, in Grand Blank, Michigan. It was this brand new facility owned by this giant medical group with the hospital and all this stuff, indoor facility, state of the art. And I had actually given perhaps my best job interview of all time and i didn't even realize it i I showed up to the club in like old workout sweats and a fair state tennis (laughs) sweatshirt and all of a sudden the the cfo of the company shows up and he's like oh hi kyle um i'm so and so let's have a meeting and i was like okay and i think i was just so young and dumb that i didn't realize it was like a full job interview so here i am in this guy's office i've got my leg up on the chair (laughs) i put my shoe up on his desk and i'm completely brutally honest with everything and he asked me what my biggest weakness is and i don't even hesitate i tell him and then he says well if you were running this place what would you do and i told him and zero filter and finally the job interview got done and the guy's shaking his head like I don't know how to explain this, but that might be the best job interview I've ever had. <laughs> Fire wow. the gym and hire yeah. me. That's it. Honest. <laughs> yeah, so, so they, they offered me a job on the spot, right. and I turned that down. So now people just thought that I was completely Looney Tunes. What right. are you doing with your life? This is terrible. Uh, and so needless to say, I, I was interviewing for this job in Boca Raton. I knew I was underqualified. I had no Boca Raton, Delray Beach, Palm Beach County contacts. But I just kept grinding away, and I kept calling the director, calling, emailing, um, and it was brand new construction. So I knew that there was going to be delays and things like that, but I just needed a job. So after I graduated college, I had to move back in with my parents, which was the most embarrassing thing ever. And I was I was living on their couch for a couple of weeks, <laughs> and I finally I finally had had enough. We had a bit of a falling out because they think that my that that tennis is like mcdonald's you just walk into a place you fill out an application you get hired so they didn't realize how difficult it was so i lied to them i told them i got the job in book <laughs> you got it, I had, you, it I, I, I had yeah i had no money with me and i drove my i drove my car with all of my personal belongings down to Boca Raton. Uh, I didn't have a place to live i didn't know anyone so i lived in a walmart parking lot for about three weeks um, and I just, I was like, oh my gosh, like, is this going to be my life? Like, did I just completely blow it? And then finally on a Friday at 4.19 PM, mm. I get a call from the operations manager and he says, Kyle, we would love to hire you. And I said, 
perfect when you need me there. Yeah. He says, when can you get here? I said, I'm five minutes away. Yeah, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm in the Walmart parking lot. <laughs> yeah. I was shopping. Man, you're crazy. And the, uh, the, what a great story. The earnest, yeah. honest, brutally honest um, job interview is like a scene out of Office Space, and it, it totally worked. It, it, to- it was Office Space. I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's yeah. one of my favorite movies. I but yeah, tell. I mean, I was slouched. I, I, I was slouched over in my chair. Yeah. I had my I had my foot up on his desk. My big size 16 jersey yeah. was on his desk. <laughs> I got the other leg hanging on like the other chair in the office, and I'm just I'm just like shooting the breeze, and I have no idea that this guy is looking to, to actually hire me. And I'm just like, whatever, I'm just going to shoot from the hip. Yeah. And I did, and he said, Kyle, I find your honesty quite refreshing, yes. and there's something special about you. And I said, oh, okay, great. It's not, it's not my size 16 shoe, but... Uh, <laughs> it's not that. It's, uh, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. beautiful. And then the, the living in a, in a van down by the river, and you got the job. Yes, I, I was the Matt Foley. I, I lived in the Walmart parking lot in my white uh, Kia Sportage, and I had the zebra wow. seats. I had fuzzy dice. Yeah. Um, I was a real winner, let me tell you. Yeah. And so I lived in this parking lot for three weeks. I would bathe in the Walmart bathroom, right. and I'd pretty much get my food from the vending machines because I had a bunch of loose change in my car right. because I was a complete slob during this. Yeah. So um, I just I just pieced it together, and I just I, I just knew that I was destined for something better. I, I knew that I didn't deserve where I was, and I just had to kind of keep the faith. You talk, right. Now, I'm sure now the wife doesn't want to go back to doing that. I'm sure she doesn't want to peel back, you know, and go, <laughs> go live in the Walmart parking lot, does she? In, in well, the, you, you know what? It, it, it's funny. I was actually looking online at some car stuff because I'm, I'm, I'm a big car guy, and um, there's a, there's a uh, brand-new Porsche GT3 RS in Miami, and it's only about two hundred and forty-five thousand dollars. And she's like, "There's absolutely no way you're getting that." <laughs> and I told her, "Listen, I can sell the house, and we can live in that." <laughs> and she said, "She said, well, that's not practical yeah. because it's a car. You can't live in a car." And I said, "Yes, you know, yes. we live in a house, and we can't drive the house. Right. So it's much more fun." <laughs> <laughs> the logic. Right. Yes. And, and yes. you should know, I know about your car um, uh, love, and I wore a martini watch band in, in your honor. So there it is oh, for the folks you. at home. It's got the stripes of the colors we all love. And, uh, love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you could you could probably bathe at the Boca Club. You know, you could probably, you know, who, they wouldn't know. You know, you just roll in, take a shower, have your stuff with you, live in your car. Crank yeah. some lessons and watch the wash the red clay off uh, in the yeah. shower Or again. you might even have the key to the shop. You could stay there on the couch at night. That's you it. Know? Absolutely. That's not a problem. Right? Free. He's so practical. Yeah, he's he, not just a tycoon. That's why he's a millionaire tycoon. He's is. Thurston Howell the Fourth. There it is, man. Yeah, yeah Kyle LaCroix the Fourth, right there. Love it. So, so fast forward. So, so yes. now you're you're working, and you're making some real money. Nice change, you know, for 16 years at this this unbelievable uh, establishment. Then uh, you're you know, you're in USPTA. You're, you've you've settled into a nice profession. Uh, let's go into set two. Yeah. Because second set here. Second set because I want to talk about what you're doing right now. Yeah. Current, and then we'll probably talk a little future too. Yeah, because you're, you're you're teaching tennis, and you decided yep. that uh, well, I've, I've got this uh, Stanford uh, degree that I, I went and earned a uh, a degree from an uh, MBA from from Stanford in your spare moment, and decided that uh, you want to start start up the sets consulting. You want to do something along that line, right? 
That's correct. So uh, I actually have my MBA from Michigan. I have my Master's of Education mm. from Stanford. Stanford. I just finished yeah. in April. Um, commencement's supposed to be June 14th, but that's definitely not going to happen. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I kind of had this idea for SETS and SETS Consulting, which is SETS is an acronym for Specialized Educational Tennis Solutions. And I provide educational curriculum for tennis federations, uh, and I also provide uh, technical advising for high-level elite coaches, tour coaches, things like that. So we, we, we do the other basic consulting stuff with work with clubs and things, but essentially it's, it's really working with not only great coaches, but taking those great coaches and making them even better, mm. improving their relationships with their with their tor- with their uh, current players, and so it's been it's been really nice. The feedback has been amazing. Um, uh, I have a client right now; they're they're in Spain uh, working, and fortunately, I'm able to teleconference and use the Zoom meetings and all those things like I have been. So. Um, that Great. hasn't really that hasn't really cramped my style at all, but it's been it's been a, a wonderful wonderful start. I, I launched it about two months ago, and um, I think I launched it on a Monday. And my first webinar, I had uh, close to 500 people on it. So awesome! It and we enjoy your social media, both Tennis Tycoon and Sets Consulting. So that's been neat for us to yes. get to know about you through that too. Yeah, I, I can imagine that. Uh, uh, you stay fairly busy. Do you sleep much? You know, do you, do you, like one or two, you're like Lane Evans. You know, Lane Evans. I know you know Lane as well. He think, wakes yes. up at three, right? Yeah, he goes T- time to work out, kids. And I'm like, work out. <laughs> I'm sleeping, Lane. You know, <laughs> do you sleep much, Kyle? What do you? Gosh, do you are you one of those people who've always had probably high energy, n- not much to uh, sleep, but you always wanting to do something? Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've always been a, a pretty healthy sleeper, but I, I don't really need a m- much sleep, but. Uh, 4 a.m. does come early, and yeah. my wife, Lisa, uh, is usually not happy when that alarm goes off at 4 a.m., mm-hmm. but it's something I've certainly gotten better with. But as far as sleeping goes, I, I only need a couple hours, but when I wake up, I still feel refreshed, energized. But I think the key is uh, I have a routine before bed, so I kind of prep my brain into going to sleep mode. And, you know, when I go to bed and my head hits the pillow, I, I reach REM sleep pretty quickly, so I'm a very deep sleeper. And but when that alarm goes off, boom, carpe diem, time to start the day, Amen. time to rock and roll. Let's do this. It's another day. How great is this? It's exciting. I get another opportunity, and it's amazing. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always high energy, but I just think uh, it, it, it's a matter of balancing the energy. You know, I, I'm not going to waste so much energy on, on the small things. Mm. But, um, you know, it, it's just understanding about energy management, more so than time management, because everyone has the same amount of time. That's our most precious commodity. It's fixed. But in terms of the energy management, we can we can totally control that just based on our reactions to things and everything else. So. Yeah, I know my dad always says, you know, uh, sleep is for wimps. You know, he goes, you can sleep when you're dead. He, my dad was like there that, too. Go. He can sleep about two hours a night and get going. I was like, Dad, you know, yeah, I, I need a little bit more than that. But Yeah, uh, you know, we had a clinical, in fact, one of the top psychiatrists in the whole country happened to have played um, Ivy League tennis at Penn and coached. And his name is Dr. Richard Cohen. And Dr. Cohen said, 
the number of hours is less important than the number of REM cycles. So uh, he, he recommended you know, there's three, three REM cycles. Three, that's I, right. I believe that was the yeah. three REM cycles. I mean, he it's must tough have... to measure that without clinical equipment, but he has that stuff. So hopefully you are getting that even in just uh, just a few hours. So j just out of curiosity, what do you do at 4 a.m.? What's your routine? Yeah, you, what's up yeah, in the morning? Yeah, what do you do? Do, that, do you kind of get your going? Do you have a cup of coffee? You know, do you, do you take a, you know, do you, do you go in and check the computer really fast? And, you know, what, what are you doing? So 4 a.m. comes. I try to be as quiet as possible so I don't wake up Lisa because she's probably already up. She's a very light sleeper. I'm a very deep sleeper. But uh, 4 a.m. comes. I sneak out of the room real quick. Um, I go. I do not drink coffee at all. Never have. Probably never will. Um, but I get up. I, I check my phone for emails, messages, hop on the computer real quick, send out a couple emails, mm -hmm. um, just kind of plan my day, write down some goals for the day. Uh, and then by, you know, probably 4.30, after I get done with breakfast, 4.30, 5 o'clock, uh, hop in the shower real quick, and I'm at the club by, you know, 6 a.m. Right, that's great. Te teaching lessons, or are you just kind of checking on things? or? Well, yeah, I mean, 6 a.m., I, I like to get there because our first lessons usually start at, at 7. Right. So, you know, I, I, I don't like, I'm, I'm not one of these guys that can just roll out of bed and show yeah. up at 6.59 and get sure. my basket ready. That's my biggest pet peeve. Yeah. So for me, I always look at it as, you know, success doesn't have business hours. It has production hours. Sure. So I'll get there early. Prior planning prevents piss poor performance. I'll make sure the baskets are set. I'll make sure that there's no emergencies. Everything's set to go so that at 7 a.m. when that first member who's sharing his time and his money with us walks in, he is ready, and we are open, and we are ready to go, and it's it's back to business. That's wonderful. The six P's you mentioned about prior planning, that applies to being a tennis professional. How are you having it apply uh, to being a consultant with sets? Well, you know, it, it, it's really the same thing. I yeah. mean, you got you to do your research. It's, it's about making that connection with, with your clients. So I always like to do a little bit of research beforehand. I like to have a little bit of background in terms of what they're looking for uh, with their players. And so I already have a game plan kind of going into it after speaking with them. Mm -hmm. uh, I show it to them. But really, it's, it's just a matter of, of doing your due diligence beforehand and not just kind of winging it. I don't like to wing it. I like to have that, have those goals, have that plan, and then kind of take it from there. And if it needs to be modified, by all means, we can modify it right. because I'm adaptable, but I'm adaptable because I have the foundation with, mm. the, with the preparation. For those of you just joining, we're talking with Kyle Lacroix, Assistant Director of Tennis at the Oaks at Boca Raton, so I wanted to... And the Chief Education, know. Chief Education yes. Officer, at SETS Consulting. SETS Consulting, yeah. uh, social media platform, marketing guru, uh, tennis tycoon, yeah. uh, you know, just master of everything. Right, right. we love just, it. Yeah, you know, just kind of just does, uh, you, you do uh, writing, you also uh, do uh, some speaking as well. Uh, is there one thing that you enjoy more than the other? Do you, do you, obviously, you, know, you did the SETS Consulting, so you're obviously into to the aspect of organizing mm -hmm. and planning. Is, what do you really like to do? I mean, teaching it, do you like all of it or just all of it? I, I really like all of it. I think if, if someone's willing to share their two most precious commodities, time and money, mm -hmm. and they're interested in what I have to say and what I have to do, then that's an absolute blessing. The fact that one person even follows me on social media, let alone all the other ones, is absolutely incredible to me. It still blows my mind to this day that... 
someone wants to take a lesson from me or someone wants to, to hear my opinions on this or that. It's just such a blessing that I that I get to do that. So I really do appreciate all of it. Your, your humility is, uh, I'm sure, contagious and appreciated by the others. And uh, really, I, I think of the word gratitude when I speak with you or text with you, too, as part of our prep for this yeah. show. Yeah. So that's been really, really neat. And I'm... Uh, yeah, you know, I'm impressed with your graciousness uh, always. So thank you. Yeah, because you're up kind of late right now. It's ten o'clock. So you're right. Are you going to get up at four o'clock uh, tomorrow morning? Are you, you just, is uh, that your I'll routine? I'll probably wake up at three fifty-eight. I yeah. normally beat my alarm clock. That's <laughs> the best feeling. I love it. Yeah, I, I often do this too. It's good. Yep. Hey, um, before we get to the third set, let's talk about the future of Kyle Lacroix, future of Tennis Tycoon, future of Sets Consulting. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, what do you want to do with it? So, uh, Seth's Consulting, it's, it's going really well right now. I, I would love to, to grow it, expand it, just gain some more clients uh, at, the, at the professional level. Um, like I said, I, I already have one, uh, but looking to kind of build a little bit more, look to get into some federations. I'm already in talks with, with uh, three European tennis federations right now with some educational curriculum. So I would just like to kind of expand that. And these are things that I can do from the comfort of my own home. Right, too, right, your office. Right. technology, which is fantastic, because the last thing I want to do is be on the road for 35 weeks out of the year like a tour player or a tour coach. That does not appease me whatsoever. Right. So if I can do it from the comfort of my home, which I know I can, then all the better. I get to spend more time with my beautiful wife, Lisa. Oh, good. I would, I would imagine kids factor in at some point, too, don't they? Are you going to think about having kids? Would you like to have kids? Uh, nope, nope, no, no, no kids uh, in, in that plan. Uh -huh. We are more than happy. Lisa actually has about uh, 200 kids uh, that are kind of hers in Palm Beach County that are, that are students in her Love Serving Autism charity. So that is more than enough. So we are, we are more than happy and blessed with what we have and, you know, Lisa does an incredible job. She has such a connection with these kids. She really does treat them like they're her own. So we, we are we are more than happy. I've got four kids. You want to, you want to adopt one? I'll give you one. No, nope, yeah. I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm good. They're, they're, they're adults. You know, i got a couple that are just younger, just a couple of years younger. I mean, yeah, they're, no. they're housebroken, and, and you know, they have real jobs, you know. Are they off the payroll? Uh, <laughs> one is, two well, are. Uh, well, we still pay for their, their cell phone, so I don't <laughs> okay. know what, what you mean off the off the dole. Not fully, huh? Right. Oh, boy. Yeah, right. No, they, they are. I'm just joking. They, they, they're, I've right. got some great kids. They're actually all out in college now. Well, yeah. two are out of school, and then two are in college, and mm -hmm. one's getting married, so that she'll be off the dole oh, here pretty fantastic. soon. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, July 18th, we hope. We don't know for sure. Oh. There, there's, uh, at this time, in the... Uh, uh, history of the United States and the world, you know, as we, we all know, we're in a uh, uh, goofy time. I mean, I hate to say say it goofy, but it really is. There's no playbook. There's no. Yeah, it's, uh, this is difficult, and I, I'm sure people who are over 100 years old would be like, "Yeah, yeah, I remember this from 1918." Yeah, but yeah, yeah. those people are few and far between. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is unprecedented and a little nuts. And uh, um, that will actually bring me into you. You you did nice work telling us about the future for sets. I want you to run for some sort of office one day, and I've read some of your political leanings and platforms. Tell us about some of your aspirations uh, on the public stage. Sure. So uh, I will say that for much of my life, I've been 
apolitical. And mm-hmm. when I say apolitical, I don't mean that I've been apathetic or uh, not informed of, of the politics. Mm-hmm. I have been. But the reason I've been apolitical uh, is simply because of the fact that uh, the current modern-day politics as we know it is so divisive. And really, the whole goal of politics is to educate and provide not conquer and divide. Yes. And so it's such troubled times. And I, I, I know, Craig, you mentioned the word goofy. Yeah. And I think I have a better term for you right now, which is a quagmire. It's yeah. a quagmire. So, yeah. So I think in such troubled times, the American people need someone who's honest, someone who's brave, someone who's a, a nonpartisan person of integrity. And if you think about it, when you ask people who the greatest president of all time was, the vast majority of them are probably going to say George Washington because he was the first. Yeah. But it's not just because he was the first president and that's why he's the best. He was the best president because of all the presidents we've had, he is the only one who is not affiliated with a political party. Mm. And so because of that, he could actually run and govern the proper way, which is, which is fairness and honesty and integrity. He did not owe anything to anyone and so when you look at washington dc and their two-party system what they're really doing is they're just dividing because if you say that you're a republican you get pushed over to the far right right and if you say that you're a democrat you get pushed over to the far left where you're almost like an antifa member Mm. and so it becomes so divisive where people are now afraid and if you look at it the 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 cross-section of america most of them are physical conservatives and socially they're a little bit liberal and that's about 67 percent of america yet they do not have a party that represents them and that's really a shame because now they're forced to decide on whether they should be far extreme right or far extreme left and when you do that you're going to start to to categorize them as something extreme which they're really not and so you know, it's something that our current leaders just simply do not possess because they don't have the capabilities or because they have goals of becoming career politicians, which means they are simply living uh, off of the people, not really doing anything. And they are riding that fence, even though they don't want us to ride the fence. They're riding that fence by not making any real decisions. If the Republicans want something done, the Democrats stop it. If the Democrats want something done, the Republicans are going to stop it. So you're just at a complete halt, and nothing really gets done, and it's sad. Yeah, no, I agree with you a thousand percent. There, there, yeah. There's a lot of quagmire up in D.C. There's a lot of quagmire in society in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it, we're, we live in a, a really. Uh, Quagmireish time. You know, I mean, it's it's, it's and we, I feel bad that uh, uh, f- for my kids that are coming up. You know, my own kids that have to live through this stuff because they've had to sequester themselves for you know three months. I, I think it's a political volleyball going on with the coronavirus. I, I'm not saying that that I don't. Uh, uh, I, I feel terrible for the people who have passed away right. you know, from from the from the disease. But I think there's a lot of politics there going into. To the coronavirus situation, and that's just my, my opinion. I don't know about you, but um, that's that's my my two cents from that standpoint. It's it's a political uh, opportunity for, for some, and and just, it just nobody wins out of the deal. Nobody wins at all, and you know that's kind of the problem with our federal government is that you know their their whole purpose their their, their purpose for us is to serve and protect, not harass and collect. 
Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they're doing. And yeah. people are fed up with it. Um, but it's just sad because they don't get that third-party choice. And that's really what the American people want. They, they, they need to see some sort of fairness. And they're just not getting that. And that's the real crime. I think it's why we like tennis. I think most of us, you know, the three of us that we're, we're talking right yeah. now, we all played other sports. Uh, that's right. Tennis, we all gravitated towards tennis because you, because you, it, it's what you do on the court, not what a coach thinks of you. Yeah. Uh, from a standpoint, I played football, baseball, basketball. There's always a coach. They can make a decision on whether you're playing or not or what position you're playing. Tennis, you played. You yeah, know, you if, did if it. Kyle beat me, okay, he beats me. You know, And, and you're a, the one doing the problem solving. And yes. If you feel like you're in a quagmire yep. within three, four points, maybe you're out of it, Like right. depending on what you're doing. And that's uh, that's a lot lot more difficult in the teams and in uh, big government. Yeah, tennis is a problem-solving sport. Yeah, oh, we, yeah. we have to solve all sorts of problems. How, how do we moment to, by moment? Right, even, yeah. right. Yeah, how do we return to serve? How do we play a point? How yeah. do we? What do we look for as far as a weakness? How do we? Can we expose it? Hmm. Uh, what, what Kyle was saying uh, was right on. You know, that's uh, uh, about life in general and I think we didn't need to have Kyle. He's at the perfect age, 37. He is. He needs to run for office. In fact, uh, we've we've uh, briefly talked about it uh, Kyle and I 2024 is when I'm backing him yes. for for maybe not the presidential bid yet, but that's what I want, but uh, at the very that's least what some I want public. To. You're in, huh? He, he Absolutely. Is the, he is the tycoon. I, he, he is yes. the tycoon. He's got yeah. he's got big money down there yeah. in Boca in the Boca area. Do you ever see Trump around there? Just out of curiosity, I know he's kind of yeah. So Mar a Lago is about uh, thirty minutes away yep. from, from my mm-hmm. house. Um, I, I I've I've actually played tennis at the uh, at the uh, Mar a Lago club. Um, they have I think six beautiful red clay courts, and um, I haven't I haven't actually played with Donald Trump, but uh, I do know several pros that have and apparently he, he calls the lines pretty tight <laughs> <laughs> i knew knew it uh, what's tighter his line calling or his shorts oh boy um, i'm not getting into this we, we, we could be bugged by the secret we service could we FBI. could i don't want the nsa to get on to get onto this i do want to mention one of our social media posts had a little happy birthday icon uh, in just a couple hours, our man Kyle turns 38, and his sweet wife, beautiful wife, just uh, reminded us of that on our uh, on our social media. Right. Too. So happy that birthday tomorrow! Happy any, birthday, buddy! Any special? Uh, maybe wake up at 4:10. Yeah, 3:58. <laughs> Give yourself 10 more minutes to sleep. <laughs> Extra 10. Thank you. I think I'm going to be completely lazy tomorrow. I think I'm going to wake up at 4:10. Oh, oh I love it. Hey, love it. Why not? Yeah. You get out there and. And and uh, I have a feeling he'll set the alarm for 410. He'll wake up at 408. 408, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He seems like that kind of guy. He's always Love prepared. It. Now, are you Love going it. to go in and work tomorrow? Do you work on your birthday? Absolutely. I got yeah. a big day tomorrow. I've oh, got uh, I've got what five hours in the morning and then uh, four hours in, in the afternoon. Assuming it doesn't rain, it, it rains for every day. So. Every day, yeah. 20 minutes, right? Yep. Yeah. That's why clay courts are great in Florida. Yeah, they need them. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. One of those things. What should we, should we move into the? Let's roll, people. It's time for the third set. We're gonna have some. F- I mean, we've already had a, a great time. time with Kyle, but uh, yeah. we're gonna roll into a pop culture and sort of personality style um, uh, segment. Yeah, th- this is a lot of fun because uh, we, we're cognizant of your time. It's, it's yeah. uh, a little after ten uh, your time, yep. a little after nine 
our time. We don't want to keep you too long, but we, we always have a lot of fun. This this segment uh, is uh, is my favorite, actually. I, I like learning about you, but this <laughs> is where it. we really get to, get to uh, needle and know you really well. Uh, first band you saw in concert. First band. Music. Music. We're going to go to music. Right. First band and the greatest band, Depeche Mode. Oh, oh Depeche Mode. Yes. I uh, that's uh, that's a good band. They, yeah, it, they were great. When did you see them? In yeah. which tour was yeah. it? So I'm not I'm not a real big concert guy. I I, I don't really like uh, you know large spaces with with people. So this mm. whole social distancing distancing thing is perfect for me. <laughs> but I did see them in Detroit at uh-huh. Pine Knob musical amphitheater in Clarkston, Michigan, mm. and it was during the Exciter tour in the early 2000s. Right. Uh, it was it was fantastic. Oh, it's great. So if you could hear a band, what's another band you'd like to hear besides Depeche Mode? Uh, if, if they were still together, yeah. the yeah. police. Who? The police. Oh, the, the police. police. The police. Interesting. Ah, I would never have thought Sting. Dipping into our era a little yes, bit. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm old school. Yeah, yeah that that's is. That's great, man. Yeah. No, I, I like, I like uh, the and, police. And they're not just like a rock band or new wave or, or, or uh, jazz. They're also... Calypso, yeah. a little bit of reggae yeah. influence. Yep, um, yep, that's right. Yeah, that's that's a I, neat band. I love Stuart Copeland on the Skins, yeah, man. The that Steve dude Jones. is awesome. I, I was watching yeah. something on him, and I mean, I like Sting too. He's yeah. he's great, and I mean, they're, they're, that little three-piece band makes so much noise, and they play yeah. so. The the technicality of what they do is is unbelievable. Yeah. Good choice. I like nice I like work. The place. Yeah, they're very nice. All right, so uh, next question here. Now I, I have an idea how you're going to answer this. Uh, if you're in a band, let's say hypothetically you're in a band, all right? Which member of the band would you be? Would you be the? the would you be Sting? Would you be the lead guitarist? Or would you be a Stuart, Stuart Copeland? Keyboards, bass, guitars. What position is, is Kyle Lacroix in the lineup? Of all the questions you guys have asked me tonight, this is by far the easiest. <laughs> oh, okay. And if anyone else on your podcast answers any differently. <laughs> They need psychiatric help. <laughs> Spoken from a man who so, lived in the Walmart parking lot. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Craig. Uh, I could pass the, that the, up. The, the, the one uh, position I'd be in in a band, no doubt about it, the drummer. Oh, oh, I love it. The, the, most, the most important part of a band, in yes. the words of Van Halen's song right now, uh-huh. miss a beat, you lose the rhythm. Excellent. Rhythm because section. Because of the fact that the drummer is the backbone of most bands, Yes. Other musicians rely on him to provide that strong beat. And when you miss that beat, the whole band's going to be off. you got to be the drummer. The lead singer can take his, his egomaniacal behavior <laughs> and take it elsewhere. The bassist can crawl back in that dungeon. Right. The lead guitarist can handle his drug problems in rehab. <laughs> I want to be the drummer. Love it. The drummer. So which, which drummer? Do you like Stuart Copeland? I mean, who, who do you like? Yeah, give us, give us a, like a, a, drummer? a top three or four drummers in your, in your uh, repertoire. Okay, so... Uh, Stuart Copeland is definitely up there. For sure. Um, I also like uh, John Bottom. Uh huh. Zeppelin. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I actually, you know what? Funny thing about John Bottom, I actually know his his son Jason. Jason Bonham, Bonham Jason yeah. Bonham. Yeah. Jason Bonham uh, lives lives in Boca, and I've actually taught his wife before, uh, Jan Bonham. Uh huh. But um, just fantastic. Uh, as far as the other drummers, uh, I think Neil Parrott yeah. from yes. Rush. Yep. Absolutely phenomenal. Recently, Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, recently uh, passed away, sadly. Yeah. yeah, Keith Moon. Oh, The Who. Boy, he's going old yeah. school. Boy, The Who was actually my first concert about 
40 minutes after my real first concert, The Clash. They, who? The Who and The Clash. Who? That's it. Who? Yeah. And that was Keith. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, Lars Ulrich yeah. probably has a place on there too. Tennis yeah. player too. Yeah. That's yeah. a good honorable yeah. mention. I love it. And, and then perhaps one of my all-time favorites. He's definitely on the Mount Rushmore for me of drummers. Ginger Baker. Oh, wow. Wow. I was going to. I was wondering yeah. if you're going to say Ginger. Yeah. 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 I just love the jazz and the African yes. influences, mm-hmm. and it, it's just really, really special. So, do you go Buddy Rich? Do you go that deep? Do you go Buddy Rich? She's only 16? Ooh, no. No? Okay. Um, that's, yeah, no. That's one um, of them. A- actually, it's uh, It Don't Come Easy. Oh, yeah. Right. It's a fantastic right. song. Yeah. Great, yeah. great song. Great song. Yeah. He, he was on Axis TV the other day. I was watching a repeat from uh, maybe Red Rocks or something. He has this uh-huh. band, Ringo's All-Star Band. Yeah. That was really good. And that's the last song they played. He's you know, great. Don't Come Easy. He's did, did, great. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, I like music as yeah, well. Yeah, even his his voice is excellent in that. I, I enjoyed him when he didn't sing very much. He was uh, he played a character called Atuk in a movie known as Caveman. Oh, I think with Barbara Bach. Barbara Bach was uh, was uh, Lana played yes. the love interest Lana, and I don't think he got to really pound skins in it. But there were some very primitive instruments. Yes, and I just got a kick out of the fact that yeah, that's that's Ringo. Like, right. That's our yeah. yeah that's, that's our boy Ringo. Fat for, our, our yeah. Wow. Well, this, yeah. This, hey, this good is answers. Good and he's yeah. only thirty-eight almost. Yes. And uh, he knows he, all he these. He dug uh, pretty. Yeah, that was deep. I love it. Lionel Hampton. One other drummer. <laughs> Lionel Hampton. You like Lionel? Yeah. Now you're losing me, Craig. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. You went too. Look him up. You Sorry. went too old school jazz there. <laughs> I, I like. I. I love drummers. I, yeah. I, I would love yeah. to be a drummer. I have no sense of timing. My my nephew is a drummer. He was in a band out of Albuquerque. Mm. They moved to San Francisco called The Limbs, L-Y-M-B-S. They're mm-hmm. actually really good. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're kind of on hiatus at the moment, but he's, he pounds some mean, uh, some mean skins awesome. as well. Jeff Bell. He's uh, uh, And he was telling me one day we were, uh, oh, probably eight or ten years ago, here in, in Dallas when my mom was still alive, uh, his, his uh, grandmother, he was showing us how to play drums. I was sitting there going, "Wait a minute!" He was, you know, he was just pounding some stuff out. I go, uh, "Yeah, <laughs> too, too tough." He goes, "Oh, this is easy. This is all you have to do." And I was like, "Not that not easy." Quite, huh? Yeah, it was like rubbing, you know, your stomach and patting your head at the same time. <laughs> and I was like, uh, "That's," you that's know, a Craig's skill. being a little bit too humble, maybe with the drums. But when you watch him yeah. play tennis. You're like, okay, very powerful, very I could beat a few rackets. I could he, beat a few he, rackets he, on the ground yeah. <laughs> in my early days. <laughs> All right, uh, favorite movie, Kyle? Favorite movie? Oh, Jump into boy, film. I'm not a big movie guy. Oh, you're but not? Two TV? movies that stick out to me. Or yeah. TV show, uh, whatever. Uh, American Psycho uh-huh. and Predator. Wow. And Predator. Yes. yes. The great Arnold Schwarzenegger. Very, very serious he went with the movies there. Does Rafa do Arnold? Wow. 
Arnold is much, much better than me, no? He, he understands government, he is a smart, smart guy, and he's twice my size, no? So uh, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no contest, no? I, I, don't, I, I cannot uh, answer this. Well, your biceps are bigger, aren't they? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Predator, I would, I would have never thought that. That's, uh, boy, that was, that's some old school stuff. Yeah, that's a good, yeah. that's a good one. Very, very nice. Uh, all right. Here's another, this is another deep thought question you've probably never been asked. All right, so you're at a dinner, and you have the opportunity to invite who you want to, besides AJ and I, yeah, and your you, lovely you, wife. Yeah, you and Lisa are yeah. preparing the dinner. Yeah. You're, yeah. It's at your home. We know you'd invite I'm us. preparing the dinner. Lisa doesn't cook. Uh-huh, well, you are. You're the man in the... Uh, or you're going to Walmart and, and to the vending machine and buying some, <laughs> some snacks at this yep, dinner. Yeah, class it up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> who are the four people, at least four people, you would invite to your dinner? Howard Stern, he could keep the conversation going, ask some good questions. Sure. Smart. Hulk, Hulk Hogan, because he was like a childhood icon of mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just, I mean, Hulk Hogan was like everything to me. Uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, I find that fascinating, assuming he could, he could, you know, come back. Sure. And then I would uh, bring back the... The 18-year-old self, Kyle. Oh, nice! Uh, and I would, I would just talk to him and let him know that everything is going to work out as planned. Yeah, that, that, that's a good, good one right there. We've not had uh, those uh, four in the lineup. Yet. Yeah, yeah. Somebody hadn't said themselves at an earlier age because that's that's a very good possibility. Brilliant answer. Yeah. Yes, and then Stephen Hawking would he would be very fascinating a guy that's kind of trapped into a body that mm -hmm. that doesn't work but a mind that still is unbelievably brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then hulk hogan oh yeah everybody likes the hulk you know the hulkster hulkamania yeah. running wild oh yeah yeah and would would young kyle and hulk vibe off each other and call each other brother oh absolutely yeah. i mean 18 year old kyle even though he was still kind of getting past that wrestling phase right. 18 year old kyle kyle would be so enamored by the Hulkster and the 24-inch pythons. <laughs> <laughs> 24, man. Yeah, they were some big guns, weren't they? <laughs> they were. Yeah, That's and he's great. in Florida, too. Do you ever see him kind of, is he down in your area of the world? South Florida? Yeah, so Hulk Hogan actually uh, lived in Clearwater, Florida, which is where I was born. Mm, near so near he, Tampa. I, I've, I've passed by his house numerous times over going over a causeway. Uh, I, I know where he lives, and it's just awesome that he's he's a Clearwater guy. Yeah. I'm a Clearwater guy. I think it was meant to be. Oh, yeah, that's great. East Coast, West Coast. Where do you? I know you probably. Gonna, I know what your answer is probably is going to be, but we like to ask that question. You like East Coast or West Coast? Uh. East Coast for work and business, West Coast for, for vacations. Oh, really? What part of the West Coast? Uh, Northern California, anywhere around San Francisco. You, you drive up above the bridge, Sausalito, Tiburon, Mount Tam, Mill Valley, yeah. just beautiful areas. I mean, I, I can't go wrong. I, I also like to go up to Mount Laston. My friend John Yandel oh, yeah. has, has a cabin, an amazing cabin up in Mount Laston. So there's incredible hiking, and it's just really heaven on earth. Our, our mutual friend John calls it Beastie Acres, right? Yes, up that's there. right. Yeah, up that's in right. Laston, yeah. Is it, is it way away from everybody? Can you, do you get cell service up there? Cell service is spotty, um, and it's about four and a half hours northwest or northeast East. of San Francisco. Interesting. Yeah, that'd be what really uh, forest, I, I guess. I've never oh, yeah, been up it's there. Up toward Shasta, it's yeah. really up yep, there. Yeah, Shasta County. Yeah. 
Is that Shasta Cola? Like the Shasta drink? Like the Susie Chaffee Susie, <laughs> Susie Chaffee or whatever it was. Shasta but they were Shasta Cola. Don't you yeah, remember? Yeah, I remember the sodas, yeah. I, they, yeah. We got those in Lawton, Oklahoma. Yeah. At the Safeway. Yeah, it was a step down from R C, yes. which was a step down from the well, we're from others. Oklahoma. Yeah. We didn't get those good good drinks. We only got Shasta. <laughs> Mountains or beach, Kyle? Mountains or beach? Ooh, uh, I'm a Florida boy. I gotta go beach, but I do love the mountains. But I only like the mountains in the summertime. Uh-huh. I do not dig cold weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and me both, brother. Sunrise, sunset. Are you a sunrise, sunset? Uh, I mean, I I usually am up before the sun rises, uh-huh. and I'm not home in time to really see a gorgeous sunset. So I I, I leave when it's dark. I get home when it's dark, but because I'm a morning person, I'll say sunrise. Good answer. I love yeah. it. Uh, what's your favorite season? Summer, fall, winter, spring? What, what, what season do you like? They don't. Have? They don't have seasons down there. Yeah, down do Florida. They? Yeah. 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 Summer. I was going to say, what's spring and, and and fall and winter? No, I mean I, I love the summer. The hotter right. the better. Warm. Yeah. Good. What's your favorite holiday? What's your favorite holiday? Um, favorite holiday. You know, growing up, my my family. I mean, it was just my my parents and myself. It was pretty pretty tight knit group. We didn't really have any special. Uh, traditions on the holidays for me uh i think the holiday kind of when you when you make a big deal out of one it kind of you know loses its significance overall so uh, i think every day every day that i i I wake up and I, i get to do what i love that's the holiday that's how I live. Every day is Easter, Christmas, Mother's Day, yep, Thanksgiving. Exactly. Yeah. Every day is Thanksgiving. I'm grateful. Yeah. Every day is Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm always grateful when I wake up. I open my eyes. I go, oh, got another yep, one. Got a good there one here. Everything else is downhill from here. Yeah, yeah. let's go. Uh, what do you like to do in your spare time if you have any spare time? Uh, yeah, uh, well, I, I also have uh, something you guys didn't mention. I also have a tutoring business, so uh-huh. I help kids with SATs, ACTs. So I enjoy helping them, getting them into into a good college. Um, as far as non-work related stuff, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really into cars. Uh, so I, I have a lot of YouTube channels that I like to watch and keep up with. Um, a lot of like European exotics, mostly Porsche. Yeah, that's kind of what, what I'm into. Um, Let's see what else. Obviously, spending time with Lisa, uh, that's that's always great. I'd love to hear about you know her progress with with love serving autism. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm a fairly simple guy outside of outside of the car stuff. So yeah. So anybody that that has an extra two fifty laying around, you, know, <laughs> you, you, you they can buy you that Porsche, GT3 right? RS, baby. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I don't want anyone to buy it for me. I I, I need to earn it myself. You're there. Hey, hey uh, I don't care. Hey, do you ever watch? Uh, <laughs> Petrolicious is that one of the YouTube channels you watch? Um, not, not. I've seen it. Not that one. Uh-huh. I, I actually watch. Um, I watch uh, Drive Drive Tribe. Drive Tribe is uh, great. I watch yeah. Mr. JWW Shmi One Fifty. Uh-huh. Um, I watch a few of those. I I, I really like them. I, I just like the the high quality cars, the engineering yeah. behind it. They're becoming they're becoming more and more like art. But, um, yeah, I, I, I just like the whole thing. I really yeah. do. Do you, yeah. do you like the old 911s, 914s? I'm going oh. way back. Oh, those are just perfect. It is yeah. the most perfect car. People who are not car people or people who don't like Porsche, they say the same thing. They'll go, well, all Porsches look the same, and mm-hmm. every year they look the same, and they haven't changed. And the people that say that don't understand mm-hmm. the genius of Porsche. They take something that's perfect and they tweak it just a little bit to make it even more perfect. Yeah. You don't have to change the Sistine Chapel. Just touch it up a little bit here and there, right. but it's perfect. So 
I mean, the old school Porsches, I'm all in love with the air-cooled engines and all of those things, manual transmissions. You know, they're, they're getting bigger and bigger every year. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the new 2020 Porsches or the 2021 Porsches that are out, but they completely changed the PDK gear knob. No respectable man wants to drive a car with that with that gear knob looking <laughs> it's, like that. Uh, they, it's they, tiny. They a big, thick gear knob, and they got to be able to shift gears, and it's just perfect. Hey, uh, the, the newest ones looks like uh, something you'd shave with. It's, it looks it, like a brawn razor. It looks like yeah. a little electric. Yeah, yeah. you yes. have a yours is a PDK with a big old knob that that yes. is probably still a little in your hand. But m- mine is uh, not PDK, but just straight uh, straight uh, manual. But on uh, the reason I mentioned Petrolicious is on Saturday, no Friday, I spent some time with a future guest of ours, Jack Griffin who is featured in Petrolicious. He has a GT3, not GT3 RS, but GT3 Touring, which is, um, you know, you're happy sitting in it. Whether you're a six-foot guy like me or a six-six guy like you, those seats are a little better than the carbon ones of the the RS. Uh, And he also has a rare 914 that is my age. It's actually like six months younger than me. It's from 1970. I'm from 1969. Uh, his is not just a 914, which I loved as a kid. His is a 914-6, which is one of, I think he said, uh, he's also got a Speedster. There's only 900 of those oh. from 89. So Love he's it. got he's got a, quite a collection. And we were in a production meeting with a film producer and a, uh, a writer of a book that I'll, I'll be involved in. But I definitely wanted to take pictures, but I didn't want to appear as a tourist. But I thought, man, Kyle would dig this meeting right here. And he'd want to sit in that one. And I don't know if he'll fit in that one. And he'd want to sit in this one. And it was a blast, man. So I I definitely thought of you. So what's interesting about Porsche, and this is the number one question I get Mm. from complete strangers. When they see me park the car and I get out of it or I'm, I'm walking towards it, they say, how do you, this big guy, I'm 6'6", six, six, how, how do you fit into that car? And it's actually, the story's really interesting. It is the most comfortable car I've actually sat in because before this I had an SUV and now I can actually sit down, almost lay down completely like I'm an F1 driver. Right, you and get low. The, the interesting thing about Porsche is their, their CEO, uh, their previous CEO was a really big guy. He was like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, uh-huh. and he made a company-wide mandate to all the designers, the engineers, that when you build any Porsche, I need to be able to fit in it. I've got to fit. So because of that, Porsche is the best car for a big man. It is. I, I mean, the Cayman, is that, that's a maybe not, right? you got to be about 6'3", or down. Cayman's going to be a little bit tighter, little, but pretty little. much all the other cars are perfect. Perfect, yeah. I just remember the 911s in Oklahoma City. They uh-huh. had the, the spoiler on the back. Love. Oh, it, the it, whale tail. Oh, that little man. Yeah. I love that car because there were a bunch of them in Oklahoma City in the yeah. 70s around Oklahoma City because the oil business. Yeah. And they were just all over the place. And I was like, man, that's a smooth car. I, I would really have liked to have had one. And, man, I'm sure they're astronomical price. Yeah. I can find yeah. a good one. Yeah. So so that, that whale tail that you speak of, right. yeah. it was so synonymous that, you know, Porsche had a race car. It's called the 935. Uh-huh. And it had such a huge wing on the back 
and it, it was this massive, massive whale tail. They called it the Moby Dick. Yeah, <laughs> it was so big, <laughs> so uh, good. All right, we're in, we're in round. We're in. We're rounding uh, uh, the third yeah, stretch. Basically, of, five all in the third right it, now. It's five all in the third. We got yeah. a couple more questions, Kyle. Oh, good. We're just. We've got. This is more of the tennis side. Yeah. What's, what's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you in tennis? The most embarrassing thing. Uh, you know, I've been I've been really lucky. I haven't had necessarily an, an embarrassing moment on court per se. Like I like my, my, my shorts broke and they fell off to my ankles, anything like that. <laughs> I do have two moments that kind of stick out that aren't necessarily embarrassing so much. But um, I I applied for a job in Tampa um, and I did do my due diligence on the club. And when I got there. Uh, it turns out I, I, I opened up the door and a lady walked out and she was topless. And it turns out this was this was a clothing optional resort. A <laughs> in Tampa? And, yeah, yeah. It, it's actually called uh, it's called uh, Paradise Lakes. <laughs> and so it was really embarrassing because I had no clue what this place was. I just thought I was going to go in there. They were going to hire me as a tennis pro. My second moment isn't so much uh, a funny thing. It's more or less how I acted. I, I was I was playing a college match against one of these guys that no one liked playing. He was a complete pusher. Mm. His strokes were weird. It was just a, a bad bad day overall. And I'm just more embarrassed with the way I acted because there were some close line calls and we kind of went tit for tat. Mm. And walking off the court, I never felt lower as an athlete, as a person, um, that I even got into that sort of that sort of petty petty fight yeah. so um, th- th- those are probably my, my two most embarrassing moments besides the be- sitting in the CEO's office uh, with your feet on his uh, <laughs> table and at and the, the time I wasn't embarrassed at all right. I, was, I, was, I was I was prideful <laughs> when you think about it it's like I wow, mean now you got to be yeah, thankful that's a good yeah. story to tell that is as uh, that as is chief education officer right yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so anybody that does that comes into your office applying for a job that's listening to this can they, yeah. would that be okay for them uh, for them, no. <laughs> no thanks. Do, do as I say, not as I, I do. There, there you go. go. What, what's your favorite tennis tournament? It could be a junior tournament, college tournament, pro tournament. What's your favorite tournament and why? Oh, my favorite tournament. Uh, my favorite tournament, um, uh, as far as pros go, it's, it's definitely Wimbledon. As far as, as, far as juniors, uh, I love the Orange Bowl. Mm. I just think it's great. Yeah. Um, in terms of college... Uh, I think all of college tennis is, is fantastic. Do you like to watch tennis on TV? Uh, I do. I, I don't really watch it much anymore. I'm usually pretty busy, but when when I when a big tournament's on, I definitely like to sit down, watch a match, and I like to do commentary. Sometimes what I'll do is if there's if there's members inside the pro shop, I'll I'll hit the mute button mm. on the pro shop TV and I'll start doing the commentary. They they actually like that a lot more than the guys speaking. So that's uh, that's how you and I got to start. Huh? Yeah, we did a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I know you you're you're holding back a little. I know you got to be going to Delray Beach every February, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, I, I live like five minutes away from from the facility. The right. Delray Beach Open is awesome. Uh, we're Lisa and I are friends. Well, actually, she's she grew up with uh, with the with the tournament organizers, mm-hmm. and they actually they, they do such an awesome job. Plus, one of their uh, title sponsors is Champion Porsche, which is a dealership down here. So you got to love them for that. Oh, I- but also, they've done such an amazing job. Uh, helping Lisa with her charity and, yeah. and supporting that. So really, really good. 
I definitely uh, made sure to tag Champion Porsche in one of your one of your posts. I, I, I figured that. they're they're in the neighborhood, and uh, I'm sure you're a client at some point. Absolutely, I yeah. am. Who's your favorite tennis player? Past, present, it doesn't matter. Don't necessarily have one favorite per se. I have like a top five list. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Edberg, Edberg, Becker, Thomas Burdick, uh, Cedric Pialine. Um, gosh, who else? Uh, I just they, they, there's they, there's quite a few that I, I enjoy, but I, I think those those four are pretty solid. And then the fifth one is kind of like a wild card. It, it kind of depends on on my mood. What about Andy Murray? Yeah, and who is the fifth one? Andy Murray. Well, not, yeah, uh, probably not Andy Murray, although I do know that he's probably in the studio right now listening. Uh, nice. Um, I mean, um, I mean, it's, it's great, Kyle. Thanks for uh, being kind and not, um, not including me on your list. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm chuffed to bits to not be included, so uh, thanks, mate. Uh, um, we, we talked about the uh, your your five faves. Uh, you mentioned Pialine, one of my faves. He was in the Wimbledon final, I think '97, maybe. Uh, lost to Pete, and he was in the '93 U.S. final. And he was, as far as I recall, the last guy to use a metal racket in a Grand Slam final. That was the '93 U.S. Yeah. So uh, Cedric Pialine was actually, and by the way, my fifth player. I completely forgot to mention him, which I don't know why uh -huh. I, I blanked, but uh, Richard Krychek. Oh, love uh, Krychek, yeah. So I, I kind of modeled my, my game after him. But Cedric Peely, the reason I love him is because yeah. he was my first, it was my first professional match I ever watched. Uh -huh. It was 1995, St. Petersburg, Florida, the Bayfront Center. It was a Davis Cup match between USA France. and France. Yeah. And it was Cedric Peely against Todd Martin and mm. I think Cedric Peeling won like seven five, six, four, six, two. And it was the first time I saw tennis live played that close. Mm. And I just thought, who is this guy? Cedric Peeling. He he looks so athletic. Yeah. And he just makes it look so easy. And he has this beautiful looping one handed backhand. Yeah. And he had this this leap, this overhead leap that you could just tell this guy was like oozing athleticism. And it was so beautiful to watch. So he really sticks out in my mind. I love it. That's a great answer. And we've never had Cedric, Cedric Peel. Uh, you have to tag That's Cedric awesome. Peel yeah. on your. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, and you I... probably never will have him as an answer. So. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that was awesome. I would have thought that. I was like, wow, the Frenchman, Cedric Peel. I haven't heard that name in a long time. Yeah. Cedric Peel. Yeah. Right. Good, good reference. All right. Uh, last two questions. Yeah. All right. We're, if you were to be involved in the great game of tennis, what would you be doing now? What would you think you'd be doing if you weren't in, in the tennis business, basically? Oh, gosh. Uh, it's, it's kind of two extremes. Uh, based on, based on my, my, my lovely wife, Lisa, she thinks um, I can be like a, a, a cyborg robot sent from the future <laughs> in sort of like a Navy SEAL kind of way. So I'd say either something in the military uh -huh. or uh, a, a, a Buddhist monk in Tibet. You've got the haircut. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. You're Thank halfway you. there, baby. Yeah. Well, he does like Predator. Yeah. So that, that was uh, yeah. kind of a militaristic. Uh, he had Arnold and yeah. all the other guys that yes. were in, in that movie. They were kind of a military group out there on a excavation that they were. It went uh, really wrong for most of yes. them, except for Arnold. Everybody got killed. Did the, oh, the girl lived too. She, I think she lived too, didn't she? 
the, the yeah, she, she did. It was, it was just her and Arnold on the, on the helicopter out of that jungle when the yeah. uh, alien blew himself up. But I right. tell you what, I would love to have been Arnold in that, in that situation. I would have demolished the Predator. I'll be back. I'll be back. Kyle, <laughs> I would have loved to have you uh, on the helicopter with me that day. Yeah, that would Thank have been you. great. Thank you, Arnie. Well, <laughs> you didn't know AJ was so uh, talented, did you? I, I knew AJ was very talented leading up to this. I just didn't know how deep it actually went. Right. Uh, <laughs> really, the the Arnold impression I just did is the is the Dominic team one that I'll I'll, oh, yeah. uh, I'll roll well, out. Yeah. It's Dominic and yeah. well, they're both from yeah. Austria. Yeah, they? they're that thick, they're that, same. that South German or or Northern Austrian accent, very thick. Yeah. All right, last question. All Speaking right. of being deep, this is a deep thinking question here. We're going to end up with a good one here. All right, you're the commissioner of the great game of tennis, and there is a opportunity to change something up or maybe change a lot of things up. Mm. What do you change, if anything, to the great game? You are the commissioner of yeah. tennis. And you have the magic wand. You, yep. can you slip in there where McEnroe sits right now. Well, if, if, if they somehow made me commissioner, that means there was something catastrophic that happened, and, <laughs> and I was the last guy on earth. But no, if I was commissioner of tennis, I think, uh, well, two things really. One kind of silly and selfish, and the other one uh, real. Um, the first thing is I would make sure that the lower-ranked players were better not only represented, uh, but also taken care of financially. Mm. Uh, it's so tough on the tour. And there's so many incredible, incredible players that just don't get the recognition they deserve. And they are struggling to make ends meet, even though they are so remarkably talented and dedicated to their craft. So mm. if we could pay more money to those lower-ranked players, uh, that would just be fantastic. And it would create a whole other industry. You know, they say a rising tide lifts all boats. All and, the boats, everybody. I, I, think that, I think that we really need to take care of those players who are on their way up. And I think by doing that, it'll show a respect to them and they will feel an appreciation and they will want to give back in the future when they do, if they do make it. The second thing I have is kind of more just for me is I would make sure that everyone goes back to wooden rackets mm. and they would have to serve and volley at least two times every game. So there's a little bit of strategy involved where they, you don't really know what they're going to do to serve and volley so, um, or when they're going to serve and volley. Now, if, it, if, it's, if it's a deuce point and he hasn't served and volleyed yet, you know. So you got to kind of be strategic as yeah. to when you use it. But yeah, I think if, if we kind of brought back serve and volley a little bit, I know I go back and forth with Brad Gilbert all the time on social media. Right. He always gives me a hard time because I'm the, I'm the serve and volley guy. Um, but I just think used as a tactic, um, it can be very, very beneficial. And I would love to see uh, more players do that. But obviously, with the modern day technology, it makes it very difficult. So let's let's give them all wooden rackets. Let's see how good they really are with a wooden racket, and then let's have them get to the net. Do you, do you think that that uh, people could serve and volley, or do you think the technology is too far beyond the serve and volley game? I'm just curious to hear your thought. I think that. Um, the way the game is headed, um, yes, serve and volley can still be done. I don't think it can be done uh, consistently every single point. You would need a really special, unique athlete to do that. However, however, I do think that with the way the game is going, players are getting bigger. I think right now you're seeing a, a, rena a renaissance of the return game with Djokovic and Nadal. There's so many guys now that have an amazing return game. I think 
is going to start to switch back to a serve-dominant game. So with players getting bigger, courts getting slower, balls getting a little bit heavier, Mm -hmm. and the grips becoming a little bit more extreme, you're going to start to see a serve plus swinging volley. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of my prediction for the future. Probably won't come true, but I just think that servant volley is still a very useful tactic with the technology. It has certainly made it tougher, but it doesn't make it impossible. Um, I just think you have to be a lot more strategic in how you use it. You have to have a better serve. You have to have a better arsenal of serves. You can't just serve a hard shot. You got to be able to use the entire service box. And you honestly, at the end of the day, it comes down to learning how to volley. And there's so many, so many players out there that don't know how to volley, and they were taught improperly at the beginning, and they were taught improperly in the middle, and therefore they'll always have that mentality that I don't like to volley, yeah. or I can volley, or the worst thing, which is when you teach someone to get to the net, and they get to the net, and then they get passed by yeah. some huh. one in a million shot, and then they say, see, I always get passed, I'm never going back again, mm. and that's the wrong attitude to have. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. We're, we are passionate. I use wood rackets in uh, some of my training with elite players, and one of my favorite S plus one drills is serve and swing volley. So I think we're on the same page, and I do, I do agree that's, uh, that's a growth uh, area where a lot of people should feel positive about um, trying to finish at the net. I had a neat conversation with an elite coach up at Midtown. He works with Gully, um, who is a kind of a consulting coach up there, uh, Tom Gullickson, who was, who was, I think, episode 13 for us um, uh, almost almost eight mm-hmm. months ago. Huh? September, October. Yeah, 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 it's right in the fall. And he and Gully were both very passionate about some of the things you just mentioned. They did use the word serving volley more, but uh, as a tactic rather than as a, sure. as a, um, a day in and day out thing or a point in and point out thing. And they were really big on, you know, you have to have those weapons. And one of the weapons, obviously, we all talk about big serve, big forehand, all that stuff. But uh, um, rather than just being all about return, it's also the finishing skills on that fourth, fifth, eighth, whatever shot. Uh, So, so important. So uh, I feel like, man, talking to that coach on Saturday and now Kyle on a Sunday, uh, I'm even inspired to attack more. And I already kind of attack a lot. So thank you. Hashtag embrace the net. Love it. Oh, speaking of hashtags, one of our sponsors, uh, Vantaggio, started a hashtag. I think we're only about 100 uh, 100 mentions into it. It's pretty new. But they call it pay tennis players, which was the first prong of your uh, approach to being a commissioner. So let's start using hashtag uh, pay tennis players. Um, Let's start using it. Do you think, just before you go, this, yeah, that please. was our last question. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that um, the, the guys that are at the top that are on the, the player council, I know they work their way up also too. Do you think that they want to distribute the wealth? Because I, I know the king just had a king's ransom, was the highest uh, paid, paid athlete in the yes. world. Yes, and yeah. do you think he wants to give some of his ransom and booty to the lower-ranked player? I, I just, you know, I, I don't know him, and... He, he does very well, but it just seems that once those guys get up there, they get a little selfish, you know, and I'm just calling them out. I'm just calling it like it is, and I don't think the tournaments, they want to give anything up, and, and it, it's such a struggle. We, we have such a tough game, like what you were saying, to make it there. Mm. It, it, you got a dog pile, you know, all over, you know, 
thousands of people, especially in your neck of the woods in Florida, that I, I always call that the proving ground. If you want to go get your ass kicked and see if you're any good, go to Florida. And then if you can make it through Florida, then you can go on the tour. It's the it's the New York, New York of tennis. It is. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It, it's, it is. I mean, you've littered with former tour players up and down yeah. the street. They're, they're all living in the Walmart parking lot with you, I think, <laughs> also, too, aren't they? You probably saw a few, uh, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, no, no, they're actually not, but I do have two uh, tour players, well, actually one former, uh, living in my in my community that I teach at. I have Aaron Kirchstein and Sloan Stevens. There you, so go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I think you're right that it's, you know, college tennis is another, you know, uh, it, it's another thing I can go off on. I won't at this, this point, but I think that you're right with the, the, the lower-ranked player, just like in the minor league baseball, I know that David Price – uh, announced, uh, I think the other day, he was given everybody in the Dodgers. He's a Dodger pitcher. Mm-hmm. He went from the Red Sox. He went from the Bucks, or the Tampa Bay area, uh, and pitched for the Red Sox. Now he's pitching for the Dodgers. He gave a thousand dollars to every minor league player for the month of June in, in the Dodger organization. I think it cost him a couple of million bucks, right, something like right. that. But I was like, hey man, that guy gets it, you know. Yeah. And I don't know if if any of our tennis guys have actually. They might have donated a couple of bucks, but and then a couple of them got mad, you know, like our buddy Dominic team. That said, yeah, I mean, it's a choke. Uh, uh, 30000 you know, it's, yeah. a lot, it's a lot of money, a lot of euros. Yeah, because Nikki K was calling Dominic out, I, I think. what caught that, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think you you're hit the nail on the, on the, on the proverbial head. Oh. Do you think that, you know, is, is it... The tour players themselves that are, I know they, they have the council and they, they run, the, the inmates run the asylum, or is it the, like the big tournaments like the Open, the U.S. Open, Wimbledon, do they, should they give up some more of their, their ransom also too? Because they seem to be making a lot of money. You're right. So a uh, counterpoint to that, and I'm not, I'm not justifying uh, their behavior yeah. by any means, but you, gotta, you can't be surprised that players, athletes in an individual sport are somewhat selfish. It's mm-hmm. dog eat dog. Yeah. And if you it look is. at what tennis players do, how they got to that point, they had to be selfish. Everything to get to that level has to revolve around you. The time you eat dinner, the time you go to bed, the time you wake up to go to practice, everything has to be about you. So it doesn't surprise me that people would, would assume that they're, that they're selfish. With that being said, do I think that the top, top players could give a little bit more than whatever they're giving? What is it, 30000 60000 I think players that have made more than $50 million in their career and some of them over $100 million can probably, can probably afford a little bit more. With that being said, I think it, it, it's a collective issue. Everybody needs to contribute. Uh, that way you get everybody invested. So, yeah, players, top players can maybe contribute a little bit more, but also the Grand Slams have to step up the other tournaments, just increasing prize money, being able to give a little bit more prize money to the doubles players, being able to kind of trickle it down. Ultimately, because tennis is an individual sport, mm-hmm. uh, it also produces a hierarchy. And when you live in a social environment and you pursue things of value, which they all do, you're going to have a hierarchy. And there are some people that are going to be better at it than you are. And that's something that people need to understand. However, when you're good at something, even if you're, a, even if you're the worst at something, if you make it to that level, you're already pretty good. So let's at least pay a little bit of respect and acknowledgement to those players who can step up. Yes, it has to be a, a collective thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs to chip in. The Grand Slam tournaments, some of the big agencies, some of the big sponsors, 
they all have to be a part of the community. You can't have one single entity trying to hold up everything. It has to be a group effort. That's how we that's how we achieve everything. You know, if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go as a team. Mm. You said President 2024, right? There's, there's 2024. There, there's your next president right right there, Kyle LaCroix. Love it. The tennis tycoon speaks. Well, Kyle, we have loved uh, learning um, about you and learning from you, past, present, and future, your vision. And I just wanted to say thank, thank you. you. I'm, yes, uh, thank you for your time. We're grateful for hanging out with you, man. This is really fun. Thank you. That's And that's the final word tonight, right? Yeah. From, from Kyle LaCroix. The man. Guys, thank you so much for having me. Big fan of the podcast. It's been an honor and a privilege. Oh. Big fan of, of both of you guys, both professionally and personally. Oh, thank you so thank much you. for your time. Thank, well, thank you, you, and happy birthday, and yes. go kiss your sweet wife, and uh, have a wonderful evening and a great day tomorrow, pal. And I want you to text Adrian at 410. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and tell him, where are you? Say, hey, get up, you lazy you, bum. You know, what, what's tough about that is uh, it, I might wake up at 4, but it's 4 Central, so. <laughs> Oh, so oh, maybe, oh. maybe you text me at 510. <laughs> when, he, when he's leaving for work. That's it. Kyle, good, good night, buddy. All right, pal. Thank, Thank you. you. And uh, just throw a good word in for us to Lisa because I want to book her yes. uh, end of the summer. Absolutely. That sounds like a deal. All right, okay. Kyle. Have, Have a good night. night. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Talk Carl. soon, Thank pal. You. Thanks. Well, CB1, what a fun show tonight. Uh, that was great. Kyle. I feel like a better player and a better person even. I loved well, I, it. I, I learned something that, uh, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. Living no. in a Walmart parking lot, that, that's... I uh, had no idea. That, that's that's pretty gutsy. Yeah. You know, to, to leave your parents' house and to actually go where you don't have a job and just yeah. go live in a parking lot. Yeah, I mean, based on manifesting your, your dream or your goal, but also based on, like, uh, a, a disagreement and a falling out or an argument about... His professional life with his parents. Yeah. So funny. But you hear a lot of people who have had similar stories that uh, have, made it, have, have made it to the top, have, yeah. have actually done things like that. The starving artist out in L.A. Right. You know, working at, at, uh, you know, at bartending yeah. or, or waiting tables or you know, living in your car. I mean, that's, that's, uh, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a really interesting story. I would have never yeah. guessed this guy that's 6'6". That uh, <laughs> yeah, would have been living, you know, and uh, bathing in a, in, a, in a Walmart. In a yeah, in a yeah. store. It's well, so funny. Well, thank you all. Thank you very much. Thank that was fun. you, my man. Yeah, that was, was really fun. CB One. Here is Craig with the dismount. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to season one, episode forty-three, with the tennis tycoon. Forty-three. That was hard to believe, right there. Of Athenet Podcast. Uh, next week we've got Joanne Russell, nineteen seventy-seven Wimbledon doubles champ, and there's yes. some crazy stories surrounding that and her other uh, professional life as a uh, tennis coach, college coach, pickleball champion, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so week. she'll be great. Uh, yeah. Next week, that'll be episode 44. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but we really thank Kyle for this evening. That was and uh, be sure to tell a friend or friends as we like your peeps. Yeah, hopefully, share this. Yeah, hopefully they'll like us. And that's the tennis news as it seems, seems to, to us. us. Good night from the bunker in Dallas, Texas. Good night, everybody. Good night. Cheers.